Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world's sounds. You're listening to episode 83 of Hack to Start. This episode features Michael LaChapelle, the founder of Business Model Fulcrum, a consulting agency focused on assisting organizations and their leaders to create change, accelerate growth, and improve business results through the understanding and innovation in their business model. Tyler and I wanted to invite Michael onto the show to share his story as an entrepreneur and business model analyst. Michael has helped organizations from all industries, including the Red Cross, the World Bank Institute, the Canadian Federal Government, FedEx, and more. He's been working with Alexander Osterwalder's Business Model Canvas since 2008 and is the only certified trainer and coach in Canada and one of 30 worldwide. Michael joins us to share his story, why entrepreneurs and founders should understand various frameworks and tools like the Business Model Canvas, some common mistakes to avoid, how to get started with the Business Model Canvas, and much more. This is going to be an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, well, we've been really excited to have you on for a long time to talk to us about, you know, business model canvases and all the cool stuff you're doing around business model, which, you know, I think is is an aspect that a lot of first-time founders and, and entrepreneurs sometimes forget to really think through. So, you know, let's get started by learning a bit more about yourself. Can you tell us, you know, where you're from, what you studied, and how your passion for entrepreneurship really began to develop? Well, I'm one of those those rare people who was actually born and bred in Ottawa, and I've lived here pretty much all of my life. I went to Carleton University, and uh, you know, as as perfect groundwork for all of the business stuff that I do, I uh, studied law and sociology, and most of what I studied in sociology was around uh, drinking patterns in amateur sports. So. <laughs> kind of laid perfect groundwork for what I do. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I guess the, the whole thing was that uh, my education really brought out my passion for trying to understand the world in terms of its patterns and uh, the components and frameworks and perspectives. And uh, I kind of naturally fell into that. My involvement with entrepreneurship has been a a much longer kind of evolution. Uh, Most of my career uh, has been spent doing uh, business analysis in one form or another. And uh, as I cycled through all the various parts of business analysis, I eventually wound up um, as a strategic advisor, which led me into business models and uh, redesigning how organizations work. That's cool. So what was your first job and how did you, you know, begin getting introduced to the world of business models as an analyst? Well, I had to, it, it was interesting that the groundwork for getting involved in, in business models and that stuff was laid over a long period of time. The first very serious job that I had was I was first the executive technical director and then executive director of the Canadian Lacrosse Association, one of the national sport governing bodies here in Canada. Through the 15 years that I was with that organization, we built that organization from the ground up. We, we had to reconstruct it, um, tear it apart, you know, put a new business structure in, new, new value propositions, if you will, at the time, although I didn't call them that. We put new programs in. Um, we 
really changed the way the whole organization worked. And, you know, during that time, I began to do research in, in how organizations work. And, and strangely enough, the structure that I eventually settled on and guided this organization into was kind of a recreation of the Japanese karitsus of the Second World War. I could never explain to people what the logic was behind that because they'd all kind of look at me like I was crazy. But it was really my first introduction to uh, looking at the structures of business and how they work. Uh, after I left the sports system, I um, became a, uh, I joined the federal government working on uh, an electronic marketplace project and started to get involved with business analysis. So things like mapping processes, doing data modeling, and getting down into the nitty gritty of how businesses work and trying to document. Uh, I spent about six or seven years doing that, and then I started to shift my interest in business analysis. I went through a period with enterprise architecture. Uh, understanding that dynamic. Eventually, I wound up as a strategic advisor and was handed this job to do to rebuild a business model for an organization. And that was my first introduction to the concept of uh, modeling a business that way. And uh, I spent four or five months researching it before I stumbled across uh, Alex Osterwalder and all of his work. And that led me into the road and the path I've been on ever since, which is business design. That's very cool, and uh, and and we'll we'll explore a little bit more of uh, Alex's work as well. I think you know throughout this conversation, but you know, so so now you're the founder of your own consulting agency, the business model Fulcrum. What really motivated you to kind of start your own consulting practice and, and kind of go out in the world and uh, apply the things you had learned and, and try to help businesses figure out you know how they actually provide value to their customers? Um, disillusionment, frustration. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was, uh, it, it was an interesting confluence of, of different things. Um, I had just spent a year working in a part of the government that was exceptionally frustrating in terms of trying to drive a form of innovation in, in the government environment. At the same time that I was struggling a lot with trying to move innovation forward, I began to be asked to speak at conferences. And so I, uh, I went to a conference over in Rotterdam. Uh, as the guest of one of my colleagues who has a business in uh, Amsterdam. And uh, it was just an extraordinary experience. Um, I was speaking about my own take on uh, innovation in the business model canvas. At the same time, I was part of panels and we were introduced to five companies that had uh, worked with my uh, colleague in Amsterdam to redefine the way they did business. And I was so blown away by, by the kind of work that they were doing. And I, I came back home. And I just looked at my wife and said, you know, I can't do this anymore the way I'm doing it. And so I decided to take a year off from being a federal employee and try starting my own consulting firm, which was a, an interesting trick because I really hadn't been a consultant ever. And so I had to learn all about the consulting. And so, you know, it, it required a lot of very personal decisions to be made and a lot of motivation stuff. And, and I began to appreciate how much and how important it is that entrepreneurs take that time to think through what they're doing. I mean, to just, you know, jump an idea, launch it, and hope that it's going to work as a business is not the best way to do things. Uh, it took me almost a year to figure out what it is I wanted to do. And my own business model went through eight or nine iterations. And even to this day, my business model changes. Uh, four years later, it's, it's gone through another major transition. It was, again, like most of the things in my life, it was, uh, it was a slow change that was, you know, I often talk about very few of us actually live career paths. It's kind of like, I, I think of it more like alchemy. Mm -hmm. You're in one state 
and then you you learn some things, you bring in some new ideas, you bring in new you know metals and and different strengths, and you suddenly evolve into another element completely. And uh, so I always think of my path as being more of alchemy than career. That's really interesting. And so earlier you mentioned the name uh, Alex Osterwalder and, and the business model canvas. Um, for those who might not heard about have heard about you know Alex and his work, can you tell us a bit more about it and uh, you know what you find the most interesting about his framework and process? Well, Alex uh, Osterwalder and Eve Pinger back in two thousand four. Alex was were, uh, he was at university in Switzerland and had spent quite a bit of time researching uh, the concept of business models and trying to develop a language around business models. Eve Pinger was Alex's PhD advisor. And in 2004, Alex released uh, his PhD thesis, which was a language for business models. It was called an ontology for business models. That coincided with a challenge I was given back in 2007 to uh, redefine the business model for how a branch of the government worked. When I came, when I read his PhD thesis, I was blown away by um, the power of what he had written as a language and the whole concept of the business model being built on nine consistent elements that exist in any organization that creates value for someone else. And, and there's, there's the fundamental about it. It's not about just, it's not just about startup businesses. It's not about um, for-profit businesses. Any organization that is creating a value for a target group essentially has a business model that it's operating on. And that includes a set of nine components to it. So after the PhD thesis, Alex began, Alex Need began to think about how they could turn this into a repeatable model that people could use, which led to the writing of the book, Business Model Generation. And now that book uh, introduced a couple of things. It introduced the business model canvas, which became a framework for the language to be used and introduced a process and a set of tools and visual thinking principles and a whole bunch of other things. Now, where most business books, the success of a business book is often measured in the tens of thousands of copies it's sold. If it's a phenomenal business book, it probably sold 100,000 copies. Mm -hmm. Well, Alex's business model generation has sold more than a million copies in 30 languages. Wow. It has become the de facto standard for um, how businesses describe themselves. And it can, the real power of this framework is, is so solid in theory that it can be used with everything from a single person business right through to, you know, multinationals. I mean, I have used it with everything from a group of buddies of mine who wanted to play music and we used to, we build a business model canvas to show the bar owner how he could make money off us playing on a social night in his bar. Right through to the you know grants and contributions uh, business of the federal government of Canada, which is forty two billion dollars a year. It's the same nine components. It's just a matter of complexity that you're dealing with, and and therein I think is is the real strength of the business model canvas. And what attracted me so uh, much to the canvas was that it's it's a very consistent set of nine perspectives uh, or components that you have to think about when you run a business. And it can apply at any size of business. It can also apply in multiple levels of a business. So in an organization, you could be talking about a business unit. You could be talking about the whole of the organization. You could be looking at it for a single business line. You could drive it down into a single product. You can use it with not-for-profits, with government, with private sector. It's that powerful and that consistent a tool. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And so why why is it so critical for companies of all sizes to kind of understand their own business model through this framework? 
there's part of an evolution, I think, that's happened over the last few, let's say, the last decade and a half. We spent an awful lot of time as organizations hoping that technology would provide solutions to our problems, provide competitive advantage sometimes. And, you know, what we've come to understand is that in the world of the 21st century, IT and all the communications and interaction technology are basically infrastructure. They're not differentiators anymore. Everybody has it. And what that did was it started to drive people back into thinking about what it is they do rather than how they do it. And most of my clients and most of the people that I've worked with or talked to, biggest challenge that I find they have is either expressing or understanding the way their business actually works or to build some kind of an alignment within their organization. So if you have, especially if you're working with a larger organization, people inside that organization will see the business according to the blinders or the filters that they have on their perspective of how the business works. So someone who is working in the finance part of a business is going to see the business considerably different than somebody who's in product development or somebody who's in customer support or in, you know, you're delivering programs, if you're providing the service, uh, if you're in the IT side of things, you're going to see the business in a great deal differently than somebody in another part of the business. So what happens that in order to build an alignment, either strategically or just simply in order for the business to work uh, better, you need to have this common language. You need to have these common mental models about how the business is working. And that becomes the root uh, strength of the business model canvas is that the business model generation, the business model canvas provides that common language, those common tools for people to build a shared understanding of how the business works rather than a fractured one. For startups, you know, when I do start, talk to startups, I find that a lot of times there's, there's five really core questions that I have to ask them because I'm afraid to say that far too often I talk to startups who really have no idea what the business is that they're running. They've got an idea, they've got a product, they've got a service, they've got a solution that they're thinking of, but to build it into a business, there's there's some really core questions that need to be answered. Things like, you know, what kind of business are you in? Because that affects what you need to do as a business, whether you're a solution business or you're a network business or you're a, a, a product business. Very, very different types of businesses that require very different sets of key capabilities. Then you need to understand about, you know, what market are you in? What do you know about your customers? How is your business actually going to work? Because, you know, when you define a business, it really boils down to three essential components that need to be understood about a business. One is, how do you create a value or what value do you create that is important to your customers? Not that's important to you. Because frankly, you don't matter. Yeah, it's a right? important distinction. <laughs> the only the only time that you matter in creating a business is when you have the vision of what it is you want to do. Once you get into the actual building of the business, you're completely irrelevant to the process. Because the only thing that matters is whether your customers are interested in what you're doing. And in order for them to be interested, you have to be building a value proposition, a benefit, a solution that is of interest to them. The second part of that is, how do you go about doing that? You know, what assets do you need? What capabilities do you need? What partnerships do you need in order to build that value that you want to uh, deliver? And of course, then the final part of it all is, what are you capturing back as a value? How are you capturing it back? So, you know, for most businesses, that's revenues. But it also might be impact, you know, in social enterprises, you want to look at what your social impact is. And it's understanding those three components of 
what value you create that's important, how do you create it, what you capture back is where the sustainability of a business comes from. And that's all part of understanding how your business works. The, the last question I often ask them, which unfortunately tends to get a lot of stares sometimes, is how are you going to go about building your business? And that becomes um, the kind of process that we promote so much nowadays in, in entrepreneurship, the customer development, the agile, the iterative development, design thinking. How many of those elements are you going to bring into building your business? And so if you can answer those kind of five questions, then I'll be convinced that you understand about your business. And that doesn't only apply to startups. That also applies to a lot of people that I've worked with. Um, you know, I, I've worked with some clients where they have a very, very confused perspective about their business because they've spent most of their time defining their business by what they do and not by the value that it creates for other people. Yeah, those are some those are some great insights. And I definitely agree that, you know, a lot of the time people aren't, you know, aren't necessarily sure how they're going to go about building it and, and haven't really thought about that. You know, they assume that, you know, something's just magically going to happen and all of a sudden they're going to have, you know, millions of users. But uh, <laughs> coming up with a plan to get there either through, you know, agile or iterative impl yeah. implementation is, is definitely key. So maybe relating this a little bit more towards startups, what are some of the most common uh, kind of mistakes you see startups making when they when they look at a business model or when they're experimenting with business models? Um, any any tips or advice uh, that you can share on that front? Well, beyond having a, a perspective on those uh, five questions that I raised, I think probably the the two biggest risks that I've seen with uh, startups the thing the things that I think kill startups faster than anything else are trying to do too much at one time and shining objects. Yeah. A lot of uh, startups, uh, especially if there's great potential in what they're doing, they get anxious to drive out the maximum amount of impact as possible. And sometimes they just take on way too much. And it's, it's much better if they understand, for example, you know, what's the core value of what you're doing, right? If you're somebody like Airbnb, the core value is a place to stay. That's what's getting exchanged between two people. And if you don't get that right, none of the rest of it matters. And so in any business, when you start up, you have to understand where the core value is in that business. And that's what you have to get done right the first time. There's often a lot of what we call edge values. So it's, it's things that are going to be important to the business, but they're not make or breaks. People get distracted by trying to build too many edge values in as well as the core value. And so they begin to take on way too much at once. The second part of that is the shiny objects is it, it's what um, distracts you from building the core value. And so I, I mean, I had one, an example of this, I had one uh, startup I was working with um, who called me up one day because they had had a brilliant flash of insight about a way that they could have what would amount to a tertiary revenue stream. And after listening to them for 20 minutes, I just basically asked the question, why are you thinking about a tertiary revenue stream when you don't have your infrastructure yet? You, know, you, you You're thinking about how you're going to earn money three years down the road, and you haven't built the thing that you need to get off the ground. So it's, it's really important for startups to understand that when they have these little flashes, flashes of brilliance or something that's you know, down the road or something that isn't about the core value that they're building, important to capture them, but you have to set them aside and do things in a proper sequence. And so those are, the, I think, the two things that destroy startups faster than anything else, doing too much and shiny objects. 
you know, those are, those are some great tips. I would definitely agree with, with both of those things based on, you know, my own experience, uh, both in startups and observing other startups. So do you have, do you have like a recommended approach to begin working with the business model canvas? Um, are there any tips or insight that you can share, you know, to kind of get started or overcome roadblocks? Is it something that, you know, you shouldn't do past a certain stage or could be applicable to everyone? The, the thing that's most important to understand about the business model canvas is that it's a tool. People sometimes get wrapped up in thinking of this as some kind of a deliverable, and it's not. The, the business model canvas is a tool for you to have a conversation with your ideas. And so it's, it's really just a way for you to work out all of the things that, that need to be done. So, you know, when, I, when I'm facilitating uh, innovation workshops with my clients, you know, we, what we're trying to get them to do is to, you know, the ultimate thing is not to have a canvas. The ultimate thing is to identify all those components of the canvas that need to be um, validated because you've been assuming, right? And that's, that's, that's another lovely thought that I should probably throw in about this. You know, short time ago, I came across a phrase which I think has embedded itself in my thinking. And that was from Gary Klein, uh, the man who wrote the book um, about insights, seeing what others don't. And uh, in it, Gary says, you know, we are most often hurt, not by what we don't know, but what we know for sure that isn't true. And one of the things that many, many startups fail to do is to identify what they're assuming in their business model and then go out and validate that before you move forward. And so they make unfortunate assumptions about the reality of their business and wind up finding out sometimes way too late that they were wrong um, and that, you know, maybe there isn't the interest there or maybe that isn't what they want to pay. And so it's important that when you start with the business model canvas is you have to understand that, that you use it in iterative fashion. So the canvas gets better and it gets more detailed as you work through the ideas, but it's a tool that can grow with you and use it. And often um, you keep past canvases um, that you build as pictures of the evolution of your business. So you can see how it's changed over time. Uh, one of my people I worked with, um, a company called This Fish, uh, their CEO, when I went in, go into his office, I was going to laugh because he has his office wallpapered with canvases. And he just keeps putting them up on the wall and he plays with his ideas to see how they could, you know, how could he change the, what they're doing? What would it look like if we did this? And so he has all these prototype business models up on his wall all the time. And I, and that I think is, is the way I recommend to use it the most is that use the canvas to play with your ideas, to think about how things would look like if you did it this way, or if you pull them out, how would you look like this way in actually filling out the business model canvas? There's no approved pattern to it. It's extremely important in any business model that you understand what essentially is the golden triangle of, of the business model, which is the customer segments, the value the proposition that you're creating for that customer segment and the revenues that you are tying to that and the revenue streams. And so it's really important that you need to understand those. But where do you start on the canvas is really not that important. You can start wherever your strength is. I mean, if you, if you have a product in mind and you have an asset or if you're really good at a specific type of activity, you could begin there and build a model out from that without any problems. You just elaborate as you go along. Most people, though, probably begin with the core relationship, which is the value proposition and the customer segment, because eventually in all of this, you have to get that relationship right. Yeah, very cool. So 
You're actually also, um, you know, part of several nonprofit initiatives. And, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, the business model canvas can be applied to all kinds of different industries or, or anyone basically delivering value to a group of people. So, you know, what are you currently working on? If you can uh, extrapolate a little bit on, on, on some of those initiatives and how you're applying the business model canvas to, to these industries. Well, for, um, for my professional association, I am a member of the International Institute of Business Analysis and a former president of the local chapter. Um, we use the business model canvas as part of the strategic planning process for that organization. And that's a volunteer, not-for-profit-based organization. And uh, we use it for all of our strategic planning. And we also use it for onboarding uh, new executives. So whenever someone comes into the association, we sit down with them, we show them the business model. It's all written out and, and documented. And so they can understand within 15 minutes how this organization works. And, and I've also worked with private sector companies that do the same thing. Build up a good take on your business model and use that for any new executive that comes on board to introduce them to um, what's happening. As part of the strategic planning process, we use the business model to look at the strengths and weaknesses of what we've done in the current year and then to start looking about how we're going to have to change it for the upcoming year. We also look at what's happening uh, external to our business model. So what changes are happening in the environment around our business model um, as uh, guiding us into the strategic decisions that we have to make. I've also, I think the, the one that's occupying my time most right now is uh, I'm working with the, uh, an initiative uh, to stop human trafficking. And uh, they are building an organization which would be an international information hub for people around the world that are working to uh, break the uh, human trafficking networks to help develop new laws and policies around human trafficking and um, are working to help train people in the practices around that, give it a resource for research. I was privileged enough to be asked to come on board and help them to design that organization. And so we are building a, essentially a knowledge platform exchange. And so that's, uh, that's a very interesting uh, effort I'm going through right now. Uh, we're in the third year of this organization. Um, the first two years, uh, they held an international summit with participation from all over the world to try and understand what would be needed for an organization to play that central role. And then this year, the third summit, which was in Los Angeles, um, uh, essentially, we've got to move forward now. And so I went down to the summit in Los Angeles. It was my first time at the summit, but it, it was a really interesting aspect to designing businesses because this is one of the few times, most of the training that I do, most of the education part of what I do with companies is to work with the employees of the company on how to do this stuff. This time, I was in a room with customers. And it was actually the first time in four or five years that I've done this, that I've actually been in a room with customers rather than the company itself. And so we were able to, over two days, to have the potential customers explain to us where their key jobs are around the things that they're doing and then express their outcomes that they're hoping to achieve and to look at the barriers that are, are really causing it painful for them to try and achieve those outcomes, which gave us these wonderful profiles of our customers. Then we were able to sit down with them and discuss what were potentially the services that had been uh, proposed through the first two series of summits. 
And so there were four core services that they talked about. And we asked the customers to think about those four services and to uh, explain to us how they thought those services could help them accomplish their goals or could help them relieve the pains that they're having. And so through this process, we, we not only got a, a terrific take on customer profiles, but we were also to, able to do a little bit of design work from the perspective of our customers, what they would like to see in the design of the services. And they actually raised two services that nobody had actually thought of before to put on the table. And so now with all of this rich information, we sat down and you know, we had this discussion about trying to do too much at once. And so we d- decided that the really core value that we're dealing with here is information. And so the key process for exchanging that information would be through directories, not that we would have an inven- a maintained inventory of this information, but we would have directories of linkages so that people could find the information that they need. And so for the organization, which is called Great, that's going to be their core business line. So that's what we're building first. And the other business lines of research and policy development are going to be down the road. So we're, we're, we're focusing on our core value for the first six months on how to build that. That's awesome. And so I know earlier you, you mentioned, you know, uh, the business model generation book, the business model canvas, uh, Gary Klein's book. Are there any other sort of recommendations uh, of great content, um, anything from books, videos, blog posts um, that you've come across lately or that, that could be helpful? I guess one of the things that's really raised its head in terms of, of uh, being a new momentum out there is um, the power of platform businesses. So a, a platform business is essentially any business where the value created is done through an interaction of the various sides of the business. And you're not actually creating the value. The, the, your customers are creating the value by their interaction. So if you think of the classic of Airbnb or Uber or eBay, where you have a producer of something and a consumer of something as roles inside the platform, and what you, you as a business do is provide the infrastructure that enables this to happen. So you may be providing the technology infrastructure, you may be providing a a select number of services that you're going to put into the mix just to drive this interaction. So platform business models have rewritten the rules of how we do so much in the business world. It's rewritten, you know, the whole idea of value creation has been changed. The idea of scale has been changed because it used to be that if you want to scale up a business, you either had to scale up your production or you have to scale up your resources. But in a platform type business, all you have to do is scale up your participants. You don't have to actually scale anything yourself. It's so there are a lot of these things, a lot of these rules around how businesses operate are being, cha- are being rewritten by platform type businesses. So in all of that, I have a colleague in Singapore, Sangeet Chowdhury, who has developed a strategy model around designing platform businesses. It's kind of a precursor to the business model canvas. So if you think of it this way, the the model helps you to define the strategies you're going to follow around building the platform business. The business model canvas becomes your blueprint of how you're going to put the pieces of the business together to make it work. And then you get into the actual building processes. So you have customer development as a process and you've got um, lean or agile as methodologies to go through this stuff. And, and there's other methodologies that you can follow. If you're an architecture person, you can, you can use architectures as a methodology to build the business. But there's some really neat things that are happening in terms of understanding strategies 
for what is becoming probably one of the most powerful business models of the 21st century. And that one's really occupied me a lot. Uh, Sangeet has just released his book called Platform Scale, uh, which I highly recommend to anyone who is thinking about building this kind of a business. He also is currently working on a book now about how you manage a platform business once it's up and running. Uh, so I think that's that's one of the, I guess in the last year, that's probably the newest piece of theory that's kind of swept me along and uh, it's building another uh, massive wave of participation in that stuff. There's customer development, which I think is a, a really important part. When you think of it this way, if you think of the stack for entrepreneurship, you have the business model canvas and business model generation methodologies, which are the vision of how your business is supposed to work. So it's, it's the blueprint of how your business is supposed to work. Customer development becomes the process that you follow in building your business. So going through those stages of customer discovery, customer validation, uh, customer creation, and building your business. So understanding this duality of the process of launching a business, the, the first part of your business, which is about the search for a business model that will work, otherwise known as a startup, and then the execution of that business. Once you've proven that the business model will work, or you're confident that the business model will work, you know, you kind of cross the the um, the gap into actually executing on that business model. And so the, the customer development process is really a great way to think about your evolution and how you build to launch your business. And then below that, you've got the concept of the agile lean methodologies. So the actual processes of either building products or building services. And um, that's there's a lot of power in that stuff. And, and you can still drive further down into things like you know, pirate metrics for um, for your customer relationship models. Um, there's there's a lot of really interesting sub models that will help you to build pieces as you go along. And so you've got that this whole idea of of a stack of approaches. Yeah, no, those are some great resources, and we'll definitely link to uh, to to them all so that other people can uh, can find those things. So, do you have any uh, last thoughts or personal models that you live by, and you think others should know about? Entrepreneurship is. It's a practice. It changes every time. There's no guarantee that anything is going to work. But if you understand a set of guiding principles and a set of tools that you can use, you're going to vastly increase the likeliness of your success. So the more that you learn out there about the steps to take to launch, you become systematic about the way you're doing stuff. You make sure that you don't fall into the trap about assuming that you're right all the time without validating it, getting out of your head, getting out of your statistics, getting out of um, you know the four walls that you live in and go out and talk to your customers and understand what your customers are looking for. Um, these kinds of practices will really help you to solve those problems. So be inquisitive, understand that there are a lot of interesting frameworks out there that will help you lower your risk of failure in terms of the overall approach to things like individual, individual things going wrong or it's not a failure as long as you learn from it. And so, I mean, I'm not a big proponent of the, the phrase of fail fast and fail often because I don't think anybody does something to intentionally fail very often. It's important that you learn when you do fail though. Um, because then you, you've pulled something out of that. So learn about frameworks, learn about ways to do things, do them systematically, understand that there's no approved solution and just go at it. Be confident. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike, for taking the time to uh, be on the show today. It was a great pleasure to have you on. That's terrific, Frank. I really enjoyed it. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at hack start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.